The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. Welcome to those of you joining online, those of you uh, who may be joining who are traveling and normally with us. We're glad you're a part uh, of the community as well. Love it. Those of you online, give us a thumbs up or uh, somehow uh, comment. Let us know you're a part. I like to look through there and see um, who's attending via our online um, services, and so that's always a lot of fun for me to look and uh, really see if you were at church or not. <laughs> no. Uh, you're welcome to those of you who uh, are here for the first time. So um, if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. Today we start a journey with a major shift in the apocalypse, and so we talked about what does apocalypse mean? Um, like we think of that term and like we, we feel, it feels a little doom and gloomy, right? But it's not. For the believer um, and, and historically from the Bible, apocalypse is a, like it's a vision of good news of how the, the Lord will work in the events of human history to bring about um, his plan for the planet and how, how it really, what's coming ahead in the future. And so today um, we start a, a major shift in what we've learned up, up to this point. And uh, it's interesting to me when we think about, um, like there's a, there's a passage of scripture in Philippians chapter 2, and, and this is a, and, and I think it's in Romans chapter 14, verse 11. Isaiah talks about it in the Old Testament. And it says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That is the name of Jesus. Every knee, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we look, and there's a time, like, we look at the planet, and we go, okay, man, everybody's not doing that. Everybody, even in the church, is not doing that. They're not really bowing the knee and confessing um, from the heart that Jesus is Lord with the way that they live their lives. And so we look at that, we go, okay, there's, some, there's, there's a day in the future coming where every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is, in fact, Lord of the universe. And so we're headed toward this climactic event in, in the future. And our text today in Revelation chapter 4, um, it, it gives us a picture of the beginning of what that event is going to look like. And so as we study the book of Revelation, what we're learning about is a glimpse that John the apostle had a revelation, a supernatural revelation from Christ himself while he was in prison on the island of Patmos, and the Lord allowed him to see some things and write about some things that he wanted the church, his body, here on the planet to know about. And so it's interesting to me that um, we're like moving toward this event. And we often, you know, if we think about uh, in terms of our own life experience, like we... We like climactic events, right? And, and so we look and we go, all right, we liked what it felt like to live in Kansas City and have Patrick Mahomes and win the Super Bowl. Amen? And we get to have a parade and we look like, so we, we love that. When the Royals won, man, that was amazing. 
And uh, so then Tom Brady moves to Tampa Bay. And they defeated us. But yet we're looking forward to September, man, when this thing gets started again. And we want a, a chance at redemption. Or sometimes like, we like, we look forward to Christmas. And then Christmas is over and we look forward to Memorial Day. We look forward to the summer and all the, we look forward to, oh, I'm going to start college. Then we look for, oh, I'm going to get married. And, and we look for, oh, I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to buy a car. And we, like just over and over, man, like we just keep looking forward. Why do we do that? Ever thought about, what? why do we do that? You say, well, it's fun. Yeah, but Why? Like, why is it fun? Why, why is that a part of how we function as human beings? Well, the fact of the matter is, it's because of what's wired in our DNA is that all of creation is looking forward to a climactic event. And so we know, even if we don't know, like, consciously, we know it's imprinted on us that something's wrong. And so we have these different dates on the calendar because they help us to deal with some of the things that are frustrating in life. And we always are looking forward to something and it makes us feel better. We're looking forward to achieving something. We're looking forward to new experiences, new trips. Um, and so we look forward to these things because we know in, in our DNA that there's something wrong with, a, with, with, with the world, like like where we live, everything, it's, it's messed up. But what's fascinating is even the animal kingdom looks forward to this event. Now, they don't have the ability to look forward to different things and create things on the calendar as we do because they're different than we are. But we read in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 19, and we'll see a little bit of a picture of why we feel this way, why as human beings, this is imprinted on our DNA. It says, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So he says, man, like that, that creation itself is groaning for the day that things are put back to right. Um, that, that we didn't, like, we didn't subject everything to wrong, but our forefathers, the first humans, did. That's what Christians believe. That's basic Christian teaching, is that God created to human beings, and he gave them ultimate freedom in a place of paradise. And, he, and then he created free will, which was the choice not to listen to him. And they chose not to listen. And because of that choice and because of the holiness of God, like sin entered the world. And they rebelled 
against the teaching and, the, and the, the desire and the will of God. And therefore, the human race at that point, at the very beginning of creation, was marred by sin. So everything that that human now touched and produced was going to be marred by sin. Their offspring would be marred by sin. Why? Because they're marred by sin. Well, well how did they get marred by sin? They didn't listen to God. We said, people say, well, that's not fair. Why? Like God created evil. God did not create evil. He did not whatsoever create evil. As a matter of fact, if you ever get hung up on the doctrine of evil and understanding, well, it's hard for me to believe in God and a good God because how would he create evil? He didn't create evil. What he did is he created choice. And the, the human being chose not to listen to God and evil came to being. Because all evil is, is a perversion of something good. You look at the most evil and vile thing that you could ever think of, like a, a, a person who molests a child and then murders them. And we go, that's evil. Well, that is something good that the person did something they weren't supposed to do with it. They perverted it. They, they took something good even in the sexual experience and they perverted it outside of what God had created for the well-being of humanity. And, and then it became evil. So evil is always something good that is perverted. God created something good. Man perverts that good and evil is in the world. And so now like all of the offspring of humanity is marred by wickedness and evil. Like if you don't, if you don't believe this, just wait till you have kids. Like you don't have to teach them to be bad. They just figure it out, man. They figure how to be um, possessive and selfish and defiant. Like it's, it's, it's because of the fall. And so all of us come into the world and we have this, this mark, like we're marred with this. And so like all of creation is, like we, we look at things, we, we enjoy blackberries. If you're from Oklahoma, you do. If, if you, a blackberry cobbler with a big scoop of vanilla ice cream will change your life, Okay. <laughs> We enjoy that, do we not? But if you've ever picked blackberries, you will know that you don't enjoy picking them. Like, they will tear you up, man. And you have to worry about creatures that might be in there that like to live underneath them. A lot of times, watch out for snakes. They always go, let's go pick blackberries, everybody, but watch out for snakes. I'm like, did we just buy the blackberries? And so, like, there's all this stuff that's messed up about it, but the enjoyment is there. It didn't used to be that way. It is by the sweat of your brow that you will now labor, and then it is thorns and thistles that you will toil at the ground. It used to be a place of paradise, but now it is lost. Why was it lost? Because it became cursed. Why did it become cursed? Because we disobeyed God. So if we believe in this heavenly being that created all of this order and that he is holy, that he is righteous, like he is, he is so set apart from us and that he is good and he created us and then he gave us choice and we fell, then there had to be consequences for that disobedience. If there are no consequences for the disobedience, then God cannot be a holy God. Do you understand that theologically? Like there has to be consequences. That's why death entered the world. Is because there had to be a consequence for the sin of disobedience in order for God to maintain his righteous and holy standing and to be the creator and judge of the world. Like it just had to be. Logically, it's impossible to have that without it. And so God, like we go, well, why did God create us to choose? Because he didn't want a bunch of automatons. See, we're made in the image of God. What does that mean that we're made in the image of God? It means that we have the capability to love 
For God so loved the world. So we have the ability to love. And it's marked on our DNA. And so how do we love? You know what's necessary for love? If you create an automaton, there's no love in that. Why? Because the automaton does what you program it to do. And it never questions it. It just does it. Just over and over. It just does it. But as soon as you put choice into something, guess what's possible? Love. You enter into a relationship with another person of the opposite sex, and you decide that you want to spend your life with them, and you, you get married because you have decided that you love them. Love is not what you feel for them. Love is not that fluffy feeling that you feel for this person the first time that you've seen them, and you thought, if I could just get her to go out with me, then all of my life will be better. That's not love. That's emotion. That's instinct. Love is that you choose to love this person. You choose to deny yourself and love this person for better, for worse, for sickness and in health. Like it doesn't matter in riches and in, and when you're poor, it doesn't matter. You choose with your free will to love this person and no other person. And that's why evil entered the world is because God created choice. And we took that choice and chose not to love what God said, but to love something that he said not to do, and evil entered. And so all of creation, man, is messed up. And that's why we look forward to these other things, these dates on the calendar. Well, certainly we enjoy them, but they help us to endure some of the suffering until everything is made right because the world is not perfect. And so we have to put things on the calendar that make us feel a little bit better that we can always look forward to. It's been a bad day, but at least my birthday's next week. Not really. My birthday's not till January if you're taking notes. You see, all of these things, man, so we, we, that's why we do it. And so John, man, he's on the island of Patmos, and things are bad for the church. Like, things are bad. Like, they're persecuting Christians. The, the church is like, oh, I don't know, 70 years old or somewhere about it. It's less than 100 years old, and John is, is writing, man. He, he knew Jesus. So the guy that had this vision knew Jesus personally. He was handpicked by Jesus. As a matter of fact, as Jesus Christ walked the planet, the man Jesus Christ, John the apostle, was probably, no, not was probably, he was one of his best friends. That's what it says. It said he's described as the disciple whom Jesus loved much. He had a, he had a deep connection with Jesus. And so he's on the island of Patmos. The church is struggling. Even in its infancy, there's heresy being taught in the church. Uh, there, there's, there's competing doctrines, and the enemy is at work because he knows that the Lord has done something significant to redeem humanity and fix the curse. And so the enemy is at work to try to steal God's glory from him. And he's doing everything that he can to get people to choose not to love what God said to love, which is him. The Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, love your neighbor as yourself. It's the great commandment. And, and, and then the Lord comes and he dies. He loves us as himself. He dies in our stead to fix the curse that has messed everything up and so that spiritually we can be redeemed. And then he helps us love our neighbors as ourselves and to love God with all our heart, all our mind, and all our soul. Okay? And so like there's this celestial battle going on where there is a spiritual force of evil that has rebelled against God. And, and, and it is influencing humanity. There is the fallen flesh of human nature that is prone to wander away from God. 
And this evil works along with it, and it pulls it away from God. And then there is the Holy Spirit of God who um, is given to all human beings who confess that Christ is Savior and Lord, and he lives within us and helps us to overcome this evil force that is trying to pull us away from God. And there is the word that is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword that we can read and we can um, meditate on. And all of a sudden, we understand the things of God the, the, uh, about creation, about our identity, about who we are. And, and we, we put those things together. And then there is the body of Christ, which is other believers that Jesus lives in and encourages one another. And that's why we gather on Sunday mornings and we learn from the word of God and we spur one another on to continue advancing the good news of the gospel, and God has put all of these things over there to help us to overcome the things of the world. And so that's, that's kind of the situation that we're in, and, and John is on the island of Patmos, and the church, man, they, they've got a Roman um, uh, uh, Caesar, who uh, Nero, who's in charge, and he is persecuting Christians uh, at the, just to please people and try to make everybody else worship him as a god. It was a bad time to be alive as a believer during this time. I mean, they were doing awful things to people who were confessing Christ as Lord and Savior and would not confess that that Caesar is Lord. And so, like, John is worried about that. That's why he's in prison is because he believes in Jesus. He's not in prison because he did something wrong. He's in prison because he did something right. And that's why Jesus said, man, you need to pray for your enemies and, and and blessed are you when you suffer for doing what is right, not when you suffer for doing what is wrong. And here's, John is in prison because he is a leader in the church, and, 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 and here he's on this island of Patmos in seclusion. The church has the heresy going on. The church has sin happening in it. It has a lot of great things happening as well, but John is discouraged about it. He's dealing with the, 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 the curse of the world during this time, and he's dealing with it at a time in history where the church is brand new and hasn't influenced humanity, so there are only a few thousand believers at this point. <laughs> the world is different because of Christianity. I don't know if you ever think about that. They're going to teach you all kinds of things in school. But then I'm going to teach you that the world is better because of believers in Christ. Things have been advanced because of believers in Christ who know Jesus as Lord. Why is that the case? Because they die to themselves and spiritually the curse is lifted and the influence of the Holy Spirit is in them and they make their decisions and live their lives according to bringing honor and glory to Christ so blessing can leave heaven and come to the earth. And so like, John is dealing with all of this, man, and he's, he's worried he can't go in and help the believers. He can't help them to continue advancing the gospel, and he's worried that it might not make it because he's a human being, and he's just like us, and he's worried about these things, and God gives him this vision, and so in, in, in looking at chapter four, here's what we're going to do. This is part one, by the way, of the throne. I'm going to read through that with all of this that I've kind of painted this picture for you. I'm going to read through chapter four, and then I'm going to go back and I'm going to explain, because in apocalyptic literature, it has a high use of symbology. So there's symbols that represent things, and it's weird to us. And we're like, why is it written that way? It was not weird to a Jewish person in, in, during the time that it was written. 
They understood it. Um, it was part of their culture. It was part of who they were as a people group. And so it would be like, you know, they're, they're just different ways to communicate. So for instance, um, a lot of your grandparents can't, a lot of grandparents can't understand what the, I don't even understand all of it. I'm not a grandparent yet. But they don't understand a lot of the language that happens in texting. There's all kinds of abbreviations, man. And they mean different things. Sometimes I have to ask my kid, what does this, what does this mean? And they'll tell me, I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Okay? And so, like, there's sometimes there are languages that don't make sense to us, and I can't imagine if the world goes on for another thousand years, what people will look back and think about, like, why were they doing that? That was silly, right? And that, so that's kind of like, they, this is the way they, one of the ways they wrote in their literature was apocalyptic literature. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read it, then I'm going to explain it, and then I'm going to tell you how it helps you and some things you need to take away from it. So here we go. Revelation chapter 4, the throne of God. And so we imagine John, he's having this vision. He says, after this, I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around. And even under his wings, day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. So this is chapter four. It's the introduction into the throne room. Next week, we'll look at chapter five, and it continues on. And so as we look at this and we think through what is being taught here, let me give you some explanation. Verse one, he says this, let me show you what must take place. He says, there was a door open in heaven, and he said, I will show you what must take place after this. Now, what in the world does that mean? If you turn in your Bible back a page or two to Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, this is what it says. Write, therefore, 
what you have seen. So this is the beginning of the vision that John has. He says, write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. Okay? So he said, that's the outline for the book of Revelation. What you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. And so what you have seen was the risen Christ. If you read chapter one up to that point, John had a vision of the resurrected Christ, Jesus. He saw him in his glory. Then he says, what is now? That is the church age. That's chapters two and three. That's all we've studied in the seven letters to the churches that I've taught you um, in this sermon uh, uh, series up to this point. And so John writes about these, or Jesus talks to John about these seven different churches that actually existed. That is what is now. What will take place is the throne room that we just read about, which is chapter four and chapter five, the coming judgment on the planet, which is chapters um, four or uh, uh, six through 19, and then the final consummation of the age, which is the end of the final few chapters of Revelation. And so what happens is John is allowed to see um, uh, like, like what is taking place now, and God speaks to him about what is happening in these different churches, and many scholars, and I tend to agree, that they believe that what he's speaking to them about what is happening now also is indicative of what will happen throughout the church age. So different periods of church history, how um, uh, the, the gospel will move on the planet and what the problems will be on the church. And when we get to the final church, we see a church that has become nearly apostate. So John is transported, and we see the outline. He's transported, and he sees someone sitting on a throne. Now, he doesn't describe the, appearance, describe the appearance of the person because the person sitting on the throne is God the Father, and no one can see God the Father and, and live. And so he does the best that he can with this apocalyptic literature to describe the grandeur of the, of the scene that is unfolding before him. And, and so like, when you read all of these books, you say, I died and I met Jesus, and this is what he said to me. It doesn't look like anything like this, all right? So be careful on those books. <laughs> it's a sidebar. Uh, don't want to get on my soapbox. I got to stay focused here, right? And so he sees a, someone sitting on a throne, and he says he has the appearance of verse 3 of Jasper. And what is Jasper? Well, we know that Jasper is like a diamond, Okay, we don't think of Jasper that way now, but during this time they did because when we look at ja uh, Revelation chapter 29, it tells us that Jasper, he's describing a scene in heaven at the end, and he says the Jasper is as clear as crystal. And so looking from at this, this being that's sitting on this throne that John is transported in the spirit up into heaven and allowed to see a vision that he's told to write about for the church, he sees this figure sitting on the throne and he is describing it, that it is it, it, the, the light coming from it is as clear as crystal and it is refracting, refracting the, the, the glory of God. Then he describes the second part of it as ruby. Now, you guys heard me talk about my, my bloodhound, Red Dog. The Lord has given me a vision, okay? I'm going to get him a ruby, all right? He needs a girlfriend, and I'm going to name her Ruby Red Dog, okay? And I may need some help with that because I'm, I'm already in over my head. I'm not, I'm not committing to that fully, but I think it's a cool name. 
And so the, the second thing he sees, he sees this, this diamond reflecting clear as crystal, and then, the, the, then he describes this ruby red. Now, what is that about? That is about that is symbolic of the judgment of God. What is also interesting is there's 12 stones on the breastplate of the high priest. The first stone is jasper, the last stone is ruby. And they represent um, the tribes of Israel. And, and, uh, and, and so it's pretty, pretty fascinating to think about um, the, one, the first stone being the first son and the last stone being the last son. So it's fascinating all of the symbology that's coming together here. And then there's also a rainbow around this being with emerald green circling. Now, what is that about? Well, so the, the, the crystal is reflect, refracting the glory of God. The, the, the ruby stone is the blood red ruby is refracting the judgment of God. And the uh, emerald green that is the dominant color of the rainbow, even the rainbow that we see now, but John sees in this vision is, it, is symbolic of life, newness of life. And these are all coming from the throne of God. And then in verse 24, we get 24 thrones with 24 elders. What is that symbolic of? That's symbolic of the Old and New Testament saints. So we have in Israel, 12 tribes of Israel. In the New Testament, we have the 12 apostles. And so it doesn't necessarily mean the 12 apostles or specifically all of the 12 tribes of Israel, but it's showing us symbolically that there are saints that are a part of the old covenant and the new covenant. The number 24 is a symbolic number in apocalyptic literature that means um, completeness, okay? And so it's like these 24 thrones are the complete thrones. And then we know this is the church, the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints. How do we know it's the church? Because the way they're dressed. They're dressed in white raiment, and they have crowns on their head. Whenever John is receiving the vision of right about the things that you see now, remember when he talked to the church at Smyrna, they were to receive the crown of life if they, were, if they persevered to the end. To the church at Laodicea, he said, buy from me white raiment to clothe yourselves in. He's talking to believers. So we know that the 24 elders and the 24 thrones are all about the church. And so uh, what's fascinating about this, no, I don't want to get ahead of myself. And so they sit, and he says to he says to the church at Laodicea, he says, as they overcome, after he gives them this like this this reprimand, he says, but as you overcome, you will be granted seats on my, to rule with me on my throne. You will sit with me on my throne. So this this picture of the twenty four elders and uh, is is the is the church. It's us, right? If you know Jesus, that's you right there. That's good news, man. All right, so uh, in verse five, y'all tracking with me, man? Is this, is this too much? Am I coming to it? You good? Stephanie says she's good. All right, come on, y'all. y'all come on, man. This is it's a lot. All right, so, and so then we get to verse uh, five. It says, the thunder and lightning. What is that about? That's the impending judgment of God. So it's symbolic of a time. That's why I say we're going through a major shift. The church age, chapter two and three, that's the age we're living in. The shift to the throne room, now we're seeing the judgment of God, the glory of God, and the wrath of God all being emanated from the throne. And now we see the church and we see the thunder and lightning. Now, 
Uh, so that's the impending judgment that's coming. Then there are seven blazing lamps. Now in chapter one, I think it was, we saw seven candlesticks, seven burning candlesticks, but these lamps are blazing. This is the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit. It says there's seven spirits of God. And so it is not that God has seven different spirits. Seven is the number of perfection in apocalyptic literature. So it's the complete ministry of the role of the Holy Spirit in its sevenfold understanding. According to Isaiah chapter 11, verse two. This is wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, reverence, and deity. All of that is in you if you have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's why it's so important to abide in the Lord, is you've got all of these things available because this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The verse six, we have a sea of glass that is symbolic of the holiness of God and the separation between him and his creation at this point. Just a, a little bit of a, a, a teaser coming up at the end. There is no more sea when we get to the end of Revelation. Okay, so this is the sea refracts the obedience of the saints back to the glory of God. In verses 6b through 8, uh, the beginning of 8, we have these four creatures. Let me run through them very quickly. Ah, we got we got plenty of time. These are cherubim. These are a, an exalted order of angels. All right? They're full of eyes. Why are they full of eyes? Wait, wait, wait this is a weird-looking creature. Again, John is describing for us what he is seeing so that it can be communicated. That means that they are full of the awareness, the alertness, and the knowledge of God. God equips them for everything they need that is necessary to carry out what he wants carried out at this particular time in history that he wants them to carry out. And so um, they, there are four different beings. There's the lion. One of them has a face of a lion. Uh, this is symbolic of all wild creatures. Remember, I started with all creation groans. And so the lion is symbolic of all wild creatures on the planet. And it is also symbolic of strength. The calf is symbolic of all domestic animals, okay? Like the ox that they would use to plow the field and even your dogs and cats. It's symbolic of all domestic animals, and it symbolizes service. The eagle is symbolic of all flying creatures, and it symbolizes speed. And the man is the pinnacle of creation, and he symbolizes reason. Okay, so that's what these four beings are about and they're, that John is seeing, and they have symbolic meaning um, of how we're created and all that God has created there before his throne. And, and so all the, all the created order, this is what is being communicated here. All of the God's created order is before him in worship, right? They have six wings. Why do they have six wings? They have two for movement. We know from the uh, Isaiah writing about these, they have two for movement. They have four for worship. What are the ones for worship for? With two, they cover their eyes because they cannot look at God. And with two, they cover their feet because they're standing on holy ground. That's why Moses, when he was given the original covenant of the 10 commandments he, and all of the law, he was told to take off your sandals for you are on holy ground. There's something different going on. And so here they are. What are they doing in verses, the rest of verse 8 through verse 11? They are all humbly worshiping a God who is holy. And so as the church is struggling, as John is in isolation, as he's discouraged, God invites him 
see, in the first part of the revelation, Jesus came down to reveal to him. In the second part of the revelation, Jesus brings John up spiritually to let him see what is going on in the throne room of God. And so as he's discouraged and as he's worried about the church and will it make it, the Lord lets him see all of this. And here are the takeaways that we have uh, for you today in this passage of scripture. Everything and everyone is governed from this throne. Bar none. Everything, everyone. Doesn't matter who they are, what they're doing. Doesn't matter if they know the Lord or don't know the Lord. Everything and everyone is governed from this throne. This is so encouraging to me because I've never been or never felt more cynical as an American than I do today. Like I, I just am cynical, man. I, I don't trust anybody. I don't trust any of our leadership, hardly at all. I have no confidence in them. And the longer it seems it goes, the less confident that I get in anything. And it's frustrating to me. It's frustrating to me to look to see how divided the world is. How divided, no, not the world, our country. Our country is so divided. And I look at it and sometimes I find myself getting so discouraged and thinking, man, like, what kind of world are my kids going to grow up in? You know, like I, I've had an incredible experience and I, I can find myself getting anxious sometimes. And so this is encouraging to me as I remind myself, wait a minute, whoa, 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 whoa. Like everything and everyone is governed from this throne that I just described. And so I am concerned when I think about that and I am motivated to help others that you need to understand that throughout history, that like generation after generation, all the way back to the beginning of humanity, everything and everyone has been governed by this throne. That's what this passage of scripture is teaching us is that nothing escapes the sight of God. That's why these beings are full of eyes. They, they look forward and see all of the future. They look straight ahead and see the right now, and they look backward and see everything that's behind them. Everything and everyone is governed by this throne. That's why I'm motivated to help other people. That's why I take the time to study and be prepared on a Sunday morning to teach you what life is really about. It's, it's about this. It's not about all the other stuff. Now, it doesn't matter. That, and it doesn't mean that we can't be involved in other things, but it means that we ought to be looking through a prism that God, we realize that everything about me, every person around me is governed from this throne. And that's why discipleship is so powerful because people need to know. And the gospel travels best from person to person. It doesn't travel best from a person like me preaching on a Sunday morning. It travels that way. It moves that way. God can do things that way. But it travels best when you share with your, pers- your friends that you say you love. Do they know that they are governed by this throne? Like, that's a big deal, guys. That's a big deal. Because once it's over, it's over. We go on. Here's the second point. You were made to worship the Lord in humility. That's what we see. 
This is a picture of worship in spirit and truth. Jesus says when the Messiah comes, people will worship in spirit and truth as he's talking to the woman in the well. And he tells her, I am the Messiah. So when we take on um, uh, salvation, what we mean is we are saved from our sins, that the world is cursed. We're redeemed in the spirit. The Lord moves into us. We are indwelt with the spirit. And at that point in time, we are able to worship in spirit and truth. What is worshiping in spirit and truth? It's humble, it's reverent, and it's transformed. If you come to church every week, guys, listen to me clearly. If you come to church every week, and you have been for the last five or 10 years, and your life is no more transformed than it was 10 years ago, there's something wrong. You are not worshiping in spirit and truth. I've been following the Lord for 30 years, like, like sold out, and I keep getting transformed. And you are stuck if you're not being transformed. And usually you're stuck because you're not obeying the voice of the Lord. And mainly, I believe it has to do with the fact that we are called to go and make disciples of all nations and be involved in what? Teaching people. Teaching people that everything and everyone is governed from a throne that we cannot see. But John, the best friend of Jesus, has seen. And he's written written about it and he's told us about it. And we are to be urgent about carrying that message to a lost world. Are you humbly worshiping the Lord? We notice about the elders here. They fall down. They fall down and they cast their crowns before the Lord. And my question for you is, have you fallen down before him and laid down your crown? What is the crown? If you flip back to, and I'm not going to ask you to do that, but in your study, read about Smyrna. He says, if you overcome, I will give you the crown of life. What is the crown? The crown is life. How do you get the crown of life? Life for life. That's why the Lord, when we, when we say we're made in his image, in a, like, that's why the Bible teaches about capital punishment. Life for life. You take someone's life, you owe your life. You want the life of Jesus, it requires your life. Life for life. It's always life for life. You want to know the Lord? It's going to require your life. And when you lay down your life in full surrender to the Lord and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are transformed into the image of Christ. Spiritually, you are redeemed. Your sin is covered. God now can look at you with pleasure because the curse that used to mar you with sin has been taken away by the blood of Christ. And that's why we sing about it so much. And you are redeemed. And now you can fall down and receive that crown of life by laying your life down and you pick up the life of Christ that is now in you, the zoe that is newness, the spirit life that is born up from within inside of you that gives you the fruit of the spirit like love, joy, peace, patience, long suffering and understanding and kindness that the world so desperately needs and Christians seem to be lacking so much of. Then it comes upon you and it is yours. And in the scene in heaven, the church They bow, they fall down before the Lord and they cast their crowns before him, the crowns that he has given them. And so my question for you is on this side, have you fallen down and laid down the crown of your life so that you may receive the victor's crown that only Christ can give? Are you teaching others to do the same? Because it's really, when you look at it, if you really believe this, it's all that matters. It's all that matters. Nothing else matters. Why? Because today the Lord rules from a throne of grace, but it will shift to a throne of judgment. 
That's why it matters. That's why discipleship matters. That's why obedience matters. That's why the spirit life coming out of you matters. Is because today the Lord rules from a throne of grace, but it will shift to a throne of judgment. That's the picture that is taking place here. After this, the church age, the throne is shifted. Did you know that when you leave chapter 5, the church is not mentioned again in Revelation? until you get to the end, and it's talked about as the bride of Christ. Something's shifting. The body of Christ is taken away, and only an apostate church is left. That's why churches that are doing what we're doing right now, that are committed to the word of God, and we're not teaching some kind of self-help stuff, and we're not changing what the word of God actually teaches to make it palatable for the culture, we're yielding and falling down before a holy God and say, I will submit to that because I am not God, he is God. That's why it's so important for this ministry to continue to move in advance because there are churches around that are teaching the exact opposite and they will be the apostate church that is left when the church is removed. And some of your friends are a part of churches like that. You ever think about that? This is the destiny. The throne of grace will be shifted to a throne of judgment. We're closer now than we've ever been to this event. Jesus said, watch for the birth pains, and you will know you were entering into the season. I've never seen the world like it is right now, and I never thought it would change. I thought it would change, but I really didn't think it would change as rapidly as it has changed, and it seems to be changing even more rapidly, and by that, I don't mean the technology and stuff. I mean the culture and the demise of culture. And the things that people are proclaiming to believe as truth. Today, the, the Lord rules from a throne of grace, but it will shift to the throne of judgment. I like what John MacArthur says. The comforter of those who love Christ will become the consumer of those who reject him. Our job during what is now, remember, we're living in the what is now, not at what is to come is to share the good news of the gospel. And the enemy frightens us. He tells us we don't have the, what is necessary to do it. We're afraid to talk about our faith around others. We're afraid that we might offend them. <laughs> no, you know what we're afraid of? We're afraid that they won't like us. That's what we're afraid of. And honestly, sometimes we feel like if we're just being transparent, if I had an open door to heaven as John did, I would have the courage to obey what Jesus said for me to do. What if the Lord just personally invited you to the throne like John? What if he came to you this week and said, hey, whatever your name is, why don't you come up here this week and let me show you something? He has. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us bold, hold firmly to the faith we possess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
there's the throne of grace. He's giving us a picture of the throne of judgment. And he's saying, we can boldly approach it. The problem isn't a closed door in heaven. The problem is closed doors on earth. That's the problem. Too busy. Don't have enough time. Can't overcome my flesh. It's not in me. I believe in Jesus. I confess him with my mouth. I don't know anything about him or what it means to follow him, but I believe in him. What? Like, do you, do, like The early church was being martyred and killed and would not deny their faith. If we don't have the ability to deny our flesh to the point that we can get in the word of God and let the Holy Spirit transform our lives, if we don't have that kind of faith that could cause us to deny myself, take up my cross, get my head wrapped in the truth when the world is filled with lies, I would question whether or not you even know Jesus. Amen. Well, you're not going to get very many amens on that. It's the truth. You're not going to get transformed, guys, by just coming and listening to me talk about my transformation. What has transformed me and what has brought me to this place of understanding is the Spirit of God moving in my life. And when the Spirit of God hits a person, they yearn and hunger for righteousness. Jesus said that's what would happen. You would be transformed by the Spirit and you will hunger for righteousness. Blessed are those who thirst, for they shall be filled. And we yearn for it, man, and it, we, we begin to understand it. And our lives begin to get shaped by the things that we're learning. And this problem with the open door is why he says to the last church that is indicative of the last church age when the church becomes an apostate church here I am I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come and eat with that person and they with me the door is closed the door to heaven is open The throne of grace is available. And the big idea of today's talk is heaven's door is open. Boldly approach the throne, man. And when you boldly approach the throne, expect to get wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, power, and authority. Like, what... Like, all that I've just taught you And the way that I've just taught you is not a manifestation of the training that I received in school. All that has just come out of me is a manifestation of all that the Lord has put in me. I walk through life in power and authority because I am a child of the King. I have recognized that the door of grace to the throne of grace is open, and I have opened my heart to it. And I boldly approach the throne. I boldly approach the throne and ask the Lord to help me in my provision of my financial situation with the way that I'm raising my kids. People will say oftentimes, man, I, I, I will disciple, but I'm so busy. You don't understand. I, I've got all these kids. I'm not like, do you understand who you're talking to? Like, I got five myself. And nobody would ever go into ministry if they waited until they had enough time. Ministry's always overwhelming. He said, but the way you don't, what you're missing is, is when you invest in the kingdom, you will get the wisdom to raise your kids that they will love the Lord. 
You will get the understanding. You will get the love. You will get the grace. You will get the knowledge. You will get the strength. And most importantly, you will get the power and authority to lead your home like Jesus. It'll never work if you take your kids to church and say, hey, do what the pastor does. Your kids don't care what I do and what I say. They care what you do and what you say. And do you walk in power and authority? If you're not walking in power and authority, you're hurting your daughters. Mom, if you're not walking in power and authority, you're cheapening your son's experience. It's time to walk in power and authority. The world is broken, and the church is the hope of the world. And the Lord has called us to be ministers of the gospel and to advance the good news of the gospel and share it. And the only way we can do that and to know where the Lord is leading us is to walk in power and authority. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Have you fallen down before the throne and laid down your life? Are you a part of the church? Or do you just go to church? There's two different things. I invite you today, those of you watching online, those of you who may be watching later in the week, I invite you to fall down before the throne of grace and lay down your life so that you may receive the victor's crown and the life of Christ. And be ready when the throne of grace is shifted to the throne of judgment. He said, well, how do I do that, man? what you do? Well, number one, the Lord's got to invite you into that. And you know right now if he is. It's just like you can feel it on the inside. He is there. You may not be able to see him, but he's not silent. And so you do what he's asking you to do to surrender your life. I was talking to someone yesterday, and they were describing what they did. I said, no, that surrender word, that's the word, man. That's it. You surrender your life to Christ. And then you keep surrendering every day. And you say, how long do I keep surrendering? Until you die or he comes back. That's what it means to follow Jesus. So I'm going to let Sean like, play us out here. Before I do, like, if you need to, like, confess Christ as Savior and Lord, like, you've never done that. Man, I, like, you don't need to, it's not about you coming forward. It's not about even you raising your hand. You know what it's about? It's about you having the courage to just do it. And if you do it, Like, have the courage to tell somebody. Because you need to walk with somebody. Or you will slip and fall and and potentially make a mess of the whole situation. So my, my encouragement to you today is right there where you're sitting. Confess Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. Fall down before him. Ask him to forgive you of your sin and to become your Lord. And then, then when you walk out, you tell me, Pastor, 
I gave my life to Jesus today. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for revealing to John the things that are coming. Thank you for the understanding and the enlightenment to be able to look at the word and hear from it and understanding what you're teaching us. I pray, Holy Spirit, for the people in this room that may not know you. And I ask, Lord, that you would give them the courage to overcome the temptation of the enemy who's trying to get them to not choose you. Lord, help them to cross the line and to fall down before you and make the choice to love you and follow you. And then fill them with your spirit, Lord. Let it fall on them in such a powerful way that they are forever changed. We love you. We thank you for this day. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.